0: Hello, and welcome to Down with the Patriarchy. I'm Ben Richards. And
1: I'm Elia Jo. He's as white and male as they come. And she,
0: well, she isn't. But together, we're hoping to uncover those classical composers we don't know so well.
1: That's right. Hi, guys. We are back.
0: Really? <laughs> Are back, and we have a very special guest for our first episode.
1: We thought we'd kick things off with a bit of a bang. So we have invited composer extraordinaire, who looks kind of, I don't know if it's unnecessarily excited to be here. Uh, We've got composer (laughs) extraordinaire and a very good friend of ours, Nathan James Dearden. Woo,
2: bang.
0: There's the bang. (laughs) We're back. Bang, back with bang. Nathan bang James Dearden. I come with the bang.
2: Hi, thanks for having me, Ellie. Thanks for having me, Ben. This is so exciting. How are you? Good. Yeah, really good. Just had a sort of a moochy morning because we're filming this sort of just after a morning period. Gone for mm. my long walk. Went nice. to see some deer in the park. Oh, nice. had a nice little like mooch about with my breakfast. And yeah, this is nice. Get out Monday nice. morning. Yeah, exactly. Start the yeah. week off as you mean to go on.
0: There are people out there there must be people i don't know who these people are but there must be people that don't know who they're thinking who is this nathan james dayton and I to them i'd living. say where have you been living but <laughs> <laughs> for any of those uncultured swines that don't know who you are why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and you know what what it's all about
2: cool well <laughs> thanks um i'm nathan james dearden and there's probably about 35 people that know me in the world so for the rest of people who don't know me um i am a composer i'm a music creator a conductor i do all sorts of bits in the music industry but primarily as a music creator that's sort of like my goal and my passion in life Uh, i'm from the south wales valley's old mining town called tonner um so i've been living in, in in and around London for about seven years, but before then was in Bristol for a bit, and then Cardiff in Wales for a little bit, um, and just writing music. So that's sort of my home origin story. Um, I am a a gay man um, and I identify as a gay man and queer pronouns he, him, they. um, So that's very much part of my story as well, which I'm sure we might touch upon in this. Um, But yeah, I think that's sort of, Highlights version. Of the highlights that. reel. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. So, could I just ask, when did you start your kind of your musical journey? I'm assuming it started when you were a kid, but we don't have to do the I sang in my granny's choir when I was five. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, interestingly, I kind of always felt like I was playing catch up, but I think that's a common thing amongst creatives. I think mm. everybody who is a creative, even if they were a wunderkind, um, all think that we were playing catch up. But I really did feel like I played catch up because I wasn't very talented as a child, I don't think. Um, even though I was sort of, you know, in the school choir, it was only until sort of late on in secondary school where I found solace in the music room. Like a lot of, mm. not necessarily queer kids, but just a lot of kids who feel otherness mm. um, in their space, they find solace in the music room and that's where i found solace and i played saxophone um well i played clarinet first but i have a webbed finger a sort of a little uh, sort of mutation in my hand um which meant that i actually couldn't play some of the notes on the clarinet but i could on the saxophone even though it's a big instrument um so i did a bit clarinet a saxophone i then got roped into singing in choirs um and played a bit of all sorts, played a bit of harp at some point points, and then got to sing in choirs. And then I think through immersion and just totally devoting my free time to music, because that's where I sort of found my in or found my thing, um, I then sort of begun to be okay at creating music. So joining, you know, National Youth Choir of Wales, National Youth Training Choir of Wales, and then leaving sort of the is to go to university I, I kind of always thought I wanted to do that next step in my family and not anybody in my immediate family went to university and I thought oh cool that's something I want to really challenge myself to do so I applied to loads of universities and really at the last minute I decided to go to Cardiff which originally was the one that I was not going to go to because it was on my doorstep and somewhere that <laughs> yeah. I'd been like for years and years and years um but they really took things seriously at the time I remember having you know two auditions, an interview and an entrance exam. I thought, wow, these guys, are wow. they really like care about us and care about the community that they create of music making. So yeah, I went there and yeah, the rest is history, I suppose. Um, it's not like that anymore at Cardiff, is that? That's changed quite a lot now, hasn't it? I think, I think the culture in terms of entrance into at university level has changed more generally.
0: In, yeah, definitely.
2: Um, and it was quite a conservative course that was cha- that was beginning to change when I went there. Um, so I don't think that they have that level of entrance examination um, that you might see even in Oxbridge still have, for, for, for example. But yeah. Um, but yeah, they did for a long, long time. Um, and yeah, an entrance exam, I remember vividly, it was uh, Schumann found uh, Lieben und Leben. And... Um, a Webern orchestral piece, and they just played two excerpts from that, and then said, "Right, write <laughs> an oh essay." God. And as a sort of like eighteen-year-old boy from, well, I would have been seventeen actually when I applied, so I was a bit younger in my year. Uh, yeah. Boy for the valleys, even listening to Schumann and Webern, I was like, "What?" Uh, but managed to do an essay, I assume, because I got in. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> Were they still doing? Um... Were they still doing um, the, the Bach Crayons stuff at that time when you were there?
2: Yeah, so I went and they were doing compulsory courses of, of Bach Crayons and Counterpoint and Fuchs and all sorts of things that I had never done in my life. Yeah. Uh, where a lot of sort of my uh, colleagues from England had done as part of their education or yeah. from maybe public schools, um, which I wasn't from. I was from quite a poor state school, um, but a really excellent one with committed staff um but yeah i had no idea so i was really playing catch up even in my sort of university education of trying to get up to the same standards as Mm -hmm. a lot of my colleagues were like yeah this is so easy nathan i was like oh yeah of course it is (laughs) i was like doing like bar corrals on a friday night which is gross um but yeah yeah
1: it's
2: amazing how
0: sorry i let you go
1: I was just going to say we we kind of had that at Holloway in my first year. I remember we all the first thing we had to do on that Monday morning of Freshers Week was take a theory exam. And we were all like, we can't do this. We haven't even started a uni yet. But it was just to find out where we were because mm. they they wanted to help anyone who hadn't necessarily had a very privileged upbringing that I'm people like myself who went to schools with privately funded music departments had. And mm. They they basically took you all off probably on a Friday night do some bar chorales teach you your, I think they had to do grade eight theory exam or something and then they were like now you're at this degree level enjoy yourself instead of I don't know making people feel like they were lagging behind mm. it's really isolating I can imagine yeah but- it
2: can be and I think it's interesting you you know, mentioned that word privilege of within music education what does privilege mean for each individual.
1: Yeah.
2: Like I felt privileged to have the amount of performance opportunities I had in school yeah. where yeah. a lot of my other colleagues then at Cardiff didn't have. Um but their privilege was something else that was far more theoretical and analytical which I didn't have and I and mean, even to this day really I'm not I was just talking to a colleague and a friend of mine last night and I was like oh I'd really love to sit down and just go over theory again with you because <laughs> even <laughs> as a composer I suppose yeah. it all it's all subconsciously and innately there and it's it's obviously, washed off because I've done it all before, but I mean, sit down to do a Bach chorale again that would take some effort. I and mean, probably if, tears.
1: If you're going to do that, let me know, I'll be there because I think yeah.
2: be <laughs> we should set up a little group, <laughs> a little reading group, but down with the patriarchy. Yes, yeah. that would actually sort of side
0: podcast of Bach Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we're actually now going to get down with Bach. Yeah. and yeah let's you know, literal, go a little other way with this podcast <laughs> purely on, on
1: getting down with Park. I like that down with <laughs> could I just pick up on one thing you said before which is about kind of seeking solace in your music department I'm sure Ben I'm sure you can identify with that as I'm sure most people yeah listening can and I, I actually saw it in a tweet the other day and it said the music department is an alternate universe where pupils are often unrecognisable from who they are outside of it. The shy become confident, the agitated become calm, the lonely become included, the quiet become heard, and the lost become found. Music reveals the real child. And it made me really teary, and I sent it to every single member of staff at my music department who had like changed my upbringing. And then it just, it just kind of made me think, I don't know, do you think there's something for that kind of related to identifying as LGBT, and mm. growing up in a community where maybe sometimes you weren't necessarily sure kind of who you were, where you were going, and how that infected infected? How that impacted your kind of compositional style.
0: Not infected. Not infected. <laughs> absolutely
2: not. I think I will absolutely cut that out. Yeah, they're pretty clean. <laughs> yeah. Um well first first of all, Ellie, I think I have to say you're amazing and it just shows your character that when you saw that tweet you then sent it to the people that inspired you because a lot of people Mm. wouldn't do that and would just sort of maybe even think about it or give it a bit of mind but the fact that you did that and you have given a bit of light to people who have impacted you I think it's so important because I don't think we do that enough actually with either our elders or the people who have inspired us in our lives it's something I've been more mindful of recently of trying to give platform to people who really need the platform, who have inspired me and touched me in some way, even if I haven't even directly met them as well. I think that's super, super important. So the fact you've done that, bravo, I just wanted to say. Thanks. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, the music room, oh, my word. This could get deep, right? Um, it was. I, I think like every person who um, lives with otherness, uh, or the feeling of otherness um tries to find solace or ways of, to survive mm. and i think the music room was a way of actually not of surviving but through sort of flight as opposed to fight yeah. so it was a way of yeah. hiding Absolutely. oneself and then like a chrysalis it sort of cultivates something because you can yeah. hide in that space and be creative in that space meet like-minded people in that space create in that space with people who have similar or sometimes not similar opinions and thoughts and viewpoints on the world around you. But for one impactful, impactful goal, which is to create something special, or just to create music full stop, it doesn't have to be something special either, it can just be Mm. something not special. Um, And I think, yeah, of course, I think of course, it can be tied up into your identity. Because without that, what would have I done I suppose I also was like in the drama class as well and in theatre and stuff so I would do that and in fact actually I found that quite a lot more in in school um I, I built more relationships actually through through acting and for a long time I thought I was going to go into acting I did loads of like royal um Shakespeare schools company stuff when I was younger and was like did stuff for the BBC but Doing, like, a bridge Shakespeare stuff so acting was one part of it and of course yeah. all the musicals that you do because you try and find your friends in musicals as well um yeah. and you and you, you you try and find connections to stories in musicals mm-hmm. um and try to see h- how others live outside of your immediate community that you find yourself in that might not be your chosen community but the one that you are in because mm-hmm. of f- family or because of circumstances and I think that was important as well that those sort of rooms and those sorts of spaces is trying to find your story um, and try and recognize your story elsewhere. So I think that's why music rooms and just art spaces in schools are so important, which is why it's so devastating them when there's they're on the decrease yeah. um, yeah. and the funding's been pulled from those sorts of spaces because there are mm. kids like us or kids from minority backgrounds who no longer have those spaces, so what yeah. are they doing? And then we have this increase in mental health and suicide in young yeah, people, exactly. especially since the yeah. pandemic. So I read the other day that um, the Tesco Foundation uh, did a um, audit and 50% of young people at the moment uh, are have feel that their lives are measurably different to pre-pandemic with 22% of them feeling like they can't go on, like that mm. is an insane wow. amount of young people um, who, who who are feeling those things. And if we don't have the spaces to be able to cultivate amazing creative individuals, or just the spaces that feel safe, mm. full stop, yeah. mm. if they're being taken away, then I have no idea what's going to happen, even in the short term, let alone long term. Yeah that was a really long answer but no, I just think it's so, music rooms are so important yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I, mean, yeah. I, I resonate with that so much because I lived in the music department when yeah. I was in school. like I remember just even like I, I would never eat my lunch in the canteen I was always in my music teacher's room like every break time every lunch time it was and it's amazing how it sort of, it but it wasn't like a like a conscious like I need to save space kind of thing. But it does when you look back at it and you think, but that was where you felt truly comfortable. It was my home. Yeah, yeah it, literally. And I think that's kind of I think extending that into like our experience now, when you walk into like the chapel at Holloway, you you're still always struck by the majesty of it. But actually, there's an extra feeling of like coziness and like yeah, I know my way around here. This is this is where I live and this is where I do my my thing. And it's it's really lovely taking those spaces that you know that people will look at once or twice and go, wow. And then but you're like, Yeah, but it's it's so much more than that.
1: Yeah. For exactly. for
0: us, you know, and, and our office. Yeah, it's yeah. And I think it's I always find it slightly bizarre that we, you know, people, people see an office, don't they, as like, you know, a room with a desk mm-hmm. and a computer and all the rest of it. But for us as creatives, it's sort of it can be anywhere and you can be comfortable in in the most ridiculous rooms that, you know. That are that are much that sort of feel sort of otherworldly in a weird way. Mm.
2: One thing I was thinking of actually about the the idea or the concept of the music room. I suppose it is a concept because it's it's yeah, I would not universal. That's a really crass way put it, but it's it's a shared experience. Yeah. The music yeah. room, right? Mm. And I think as coming back to like being part of the LGBTQ plus community and being a gay queer man, mm. I like a lot of people, although it's all individual, but I can imagine that this is the case. And I've heard stories that this is the case. It took me ages to really come to terms with my sexuality mm-hmm. and for and for being gay and for a long yeah. time, for all of my time during school years, I had girlfriends um, because that was the normal thing to yeah. do. And I had yeah. like really close girl friends who then yeah. became girlfriends. Um, so the music room also was a space that I, could find a different way to express who I was without it without without being at the time a gay thing yeah whatever that might mean or be yeah um, because I was perceived or labeled as being a straight person outside of the music room but in the music room with other young people who were queer uh, but maybe were on different parts of their journey or they hadn't quite discovered that yet or they had and they were totally owning that. Mm. I wasn't one of those people. And I think I'm still learning to live with that as well and learning to find out what my queerness is. Mm. But the Music Room allowed me to do that and allowed me to sing songs that I wouldn't outside of the Music Room or write music that I wouldn't necessarily write outside or talk, even just talk to people that I wouldn't have spoken to outside of that Mm. space. Um, Yeah.
1: Absolutely so we'll talk a bit more about your canticles in a few minutes i'm sure because that's why we're all here but (laughs) i would just love to ask you about your passion that you're currently writing because we've heard that there is quite a strong lgbtq plus influence and i would absolutely love to know kind of what you mean by that and what's happening
2: cool great oh okay um well It's a bit, it feels a bit fresh actually to talk about it because I'm still writing it. So I'm really in it at the moment, um, which feels both uh, amazing and exhilarating and empowering and also totally devastating. And I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, No, 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 it's totally, I need to to tackle it on, you know, tackle it head first. Um, So it came from actually talking about finding identity and finding your space, finding my queerness. It came up quite a lot in conversation with another composer called Michael Finnessy, um, who in his sort of most recent years has started to really address the fact that he is a gay man from a particular period in history and what that means to him and what gayness means to him in his music. And it, I mean, it's an age old question, but he was like, how does that relate to you? And, um, as a younger gay person and I said oh well they're two very separate things mm-hmm. my music and me being gay and he went can you hear yourself <laughs> and I went yeah it's it is ludicrous because it shouldn't be because yeah. I am a gay man who writes music now it doesn't mean that my music is gay because well there's a whole conversation around that as well yeah, um, yeah. but I, I hadn't really considered what be it what my queerness meant and what my gayness meant, how that relates to my music and how I can either empower my music, contextualise my music, how I can give platform to different voices within my community through the music that I create. And I recognise that I hadn't done that. I was doing far more surreptitious stuff underlying underlying the surface um, on sort of outsiderness or concepts of home. These concepts that always come up within queer composers throughout the centuries um, but on a more underlying level. Mm. I thought, no, I want to do this head on. I want to, you know, talk about me and my experience or the experience of the queer community in a particular context. So then was born Passion. So it's mm. something I've wanted to do for a few years and marry both my experience as a singer um, in liturgical Christian settings and my queerness and my gayness how could those two worlds come together in some way mm. and telling the story of the passion through the eyes of an lgbtq uh, member of the community seemed like a really lovely synergy because there are so many things between the, the story of the passion and the story of many members of the queer community that are similar about love about loss about celebrating life um about sacrifice about martyrdom all sorts of things that are are similar within those two narratives and i've i've been working with an amazing non-binary librettist called gareth matty who's currently based at tish in new york but from the Wirral. we've been working on a libretto to try and bring those two worlds together bring the passion of christ with a story about uh a, a individual who has died, a queer individual who has died, and what that might look like in the passion format. Hope Thank you're God. still with me. Yeah, um, um, Love that. And, yeah. and it's about what we've sort of done. I don't want to say too much about it, because I'm still writing it and yeah. you know, coming to your ears soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's taking Matthew, Luke, and John as friends, mm. and they're sitting around a table in a bar talking about the loss of a loved one. Oh. Um, and it's not love. I mean, that's that's sort of the context of the piece. That's not literal because it's it's a passion. So it will be a, um, a concert work. Um, mm. It's not gonna be a staged work, but that's the context to the conversations that happen. So each of them will, you know, give their version of, of loss and love and who that person is that they've lost. And then it's intersected by amazing poetry that Gareth has pulled together by as old as Zaffo, to the present day, um, from trans voices um, from queer, from lesbian voices, bisexual voices, non-binary voices, to give interjections of reflection of loss and celebration of life. Um so it's yeah, it's taken the passion, but making it gay. I
1: love it that gay. <laughs> I love it. Put a rainbow <laughs> on it.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> pop a rainbow. I love that pop a rainbow. On <laughs> Use that. That's going to be on the poster. Passion not as you know it. Pop a rainbow on it. Pop a rainbow
0: on it. It's 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 great though, isn't it? Because you like, I feel like the 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 lovely thing about sort of the passion and and sort of Holy Week and all the rest of it is that sort of weird sort of mm. time every year where where lots of people get sad about something for a couple of days and sort of go through yeah. this sort of mutual like mourning mm, and then yeah. like and then it, it's all happy. And I think there's something lovely about about adding a sort of modern and very sort of current context to that and mm. allowing sort of because I think often you know we all, we all have our sort of moments of grief and loss that are so sort of individual I was thinking about this mm. sorry it's a bit of a tangent I was thinking about this the other day That's good. I, was thinking, I was singing at a funeral and it just struck me how how sort of the, the divide between we were up, up upstairs and they were downstairs that the mourners and how For us was i have no idea who this person is i don't i don't feel anything at all whereas these people are are distraught and it sort of struck me how how one person can mean literally nothing to one person and and mean the world to somebody else and it's all you know depending on how we know them and but the beautiful thing about having moments of like collective mourning uh, is that you sort of have this moment where you all feel something even if it's not the same mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. you all have like there's an a, agreed point where we can all go oh you know and I think applying applying the sort of the tragedy and the struggle of of queer people to to you know Christ's passion is such a great way of of framing it because it, it's sort of attaching that in really important sort of context to something that people are already very familiar with yeah. So in a way, yeah. it's kind of sort of guiding people into something where they're already really familiar with this one thing and, and and sort of allowing them to sort of see this other world that perhaps people might not be familiar with, maybe.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think there's so much there that's so interesting, Ben. And and one of them that struck me is this idea of grief being individual. Yeah. yeah. And historically it's not. Also, yeah. it's not individual. Mm. Yeah. And I think in terms of certain diaspora or certain um, minority communities or again coming back to this otherness communities of otherness um Mm. we have or have a forced collectivism when it comes to grief because we have to support one another in whatever time that might be so in the Mm. most extreme of grief and of death or of murder or of genocide so you know just thinking about trans voices around the world mm. who are are being made both visible and invisible in equal measure for the wrong reasons is disgusting. And the mm. fact that they are being murdered more so than they ever are, um, mm. it, it, things like this need to be addressed. And therefore this forced collective grief and, and political angst and mm. a stand-up Is is so important. So thinking about the passion and coming back to that, I it 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 was more of an idea of finding collective celebration and collective grief about a queer voice that we so find in our society, and we should find our society more and more. I think Mm. COVID has made us turn inwards, which I think is a really important Mm. thing. Uh, But it's also made us quite individual, and Mm. has made us really shut off from talking and communicating with people of you know, the same background or of your same community. And I think it's about stepping back into that world when we're safe and comfortable to do so. And yeah. and being a collective again, I think is super important. And that comes just from like we were talking about, comes in comes in when we talk about grief as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, James and I were in London the other night and we just walked along the South Bank and we walked right along the wall of all the hearts of people who have died from COVID. Mm. And it was so that's just people in London who can get to that wall and write something on there. Like that's mm-hmm. that's just people in in a really. I mean, it's a big city, but it's it's not it's not that big.
2: And that's so that's important. That's that that yeah. visual that visual aspect. You know, that's why the visual art is so impactful, right? Yeah. Because they can do things that we cannot utter from our mouths, mm, yeah. and or or some people can't even conceive. And mm. I think we should all have a wall of hearts yeah you know to to remind us and it doesn't necessarily have to be about grief but it can be about i don't know the times that you have been you know un, uh, uncaring to yourself or mm. uncaring to others or it can also be a positive thing we should also celebrate the amazing things that happen in life and we should all have that wall of hearts to remind us of all those things because yeah. our memories are so short and we forget and mm. having that i think can be really really powerful Empowering. Mm.
1: Whoever you are, you, art does make you feel something. And I, I think mm. that I cannot wait to hear this passion because oh, yes. it will be very, very touching for probably all of us in some way. Thanks,
0: um, Nathan, I wanted to ask, because um, we're talking about sort of collectiveness, um, from one Welshman to another. Because <laughs> um, I, I feel, you know, you're, you're a Welshman living living in England and I was just sort of wondering there's this this sort of um feeling there's a i don't know how to describe it there's a there's a sort of weird collective grief that the welsh people sort of have inbuilt in them i don't know how to describe it. it's really hard to sort of explain to people but there's a certain not melancholy but you there's a sort of wistfulness to the welsh people i was just wondering you know talking about sort of how your queerness has impacted your work how do you feel that your welshness has impacted your work and how how do you work that in sort of in a, in the context of working in england and working with people who perhaps working with people who don't speak welsh and who are not familiar with the language or are not familiar with sort of our mm. funny little customs and traditions and things
2: that's a gorgeous question. yeah really great question and oh i mean there's so much i could talk about here i mean coming back to this concept of of longing of nostalgia this sort of melancholy that you spoke about. It comes from that word hiraith, which I know yeah. we both know. Yeah. That is just, it, it's it's difficult to actually translate from the original Welsh, but all of those words sort of <laughs> are imbued in concepts of here. and composers yeah. and musicians have tried to respond to that in different ways um, over the years, from, you know, Grace Williams and Modest Lloi Owen who I know we've spoken about on this pod- podcast. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I suppose that is there in us. I think there's always this moment of, of you know, the homeland. Yeah. <laughs> and people don't actually pick up on that. A lot of my English contemporaries or English friends didn't know how powerful that was mm. because they mm. just saw it as, an, uh, obviously, historically, we can go on a big history lesson of why they think this. Um, yeah. Of course, being Wales being England for several centuries because of genocide and an invasion. Um yeah. And they they found that they found that interesting that I mm. had that that sort of longing still for Wales when I'm away from Wales, um, and that's sort of just built into DNA, not recent history. But I suppose actually there are recent history that we could talk about where the difference between the English and the Welsh are different. Yeah. Um, but
1: is there of that. <laughs> exactly <laughs> that is exactly
2: what I was going to talk about. With <laughs> As the cornerstone of, of, of history between England and Wales, of um, how we really do come together. Yeah. But to yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, when, you know, when we when we go like when uh, I don't want to, when Ellie goes home from London, Ellie goes to Solihull. It's just, you're mm. in the same country, and culturally it might be very different. But we, I think there's something interesting about actually transversing a, a like a border.
1: Absolutely. I forget. Everything
0: is just completely different on the other side of that border, and it's very, very
2: odd.
1: It's just so I've just, I always forget that Ben is Welsh, which is just really awful because I don't know, we met in Surrey and we. He's
2: he's posh Welsh. He's posh Welsh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He's a Hugh Grant, lived in Wales for a few years.
0: Yeah, for, for, yeah a, I, I I was actually born in Wales. I in my life. I just,
2: absolutely, I yes. just,
0: It's just not really, you know. Nathan's much more authentically Welsh. You no, know?
2: no, 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 no. That's all labels. It's all labels, bad.
0: All labels. But it's weird. No, we, I, yeah, but I think even even with that, we do we both have this weird connection that we don't you don't you don't acknowledge it really with other Welsh people, but you just do have it.
2: No, and I think it's actually happened at the same time for me in my music, um, where you know talking about you know, identity of queerness and gayness mm. in my music. It sort of happened at the same time as what's my Welshness in my music. Mm. And yeah. I i think I, it, you know, it was when actually I started getting a bit more work and a bit more sort of mainstream or larger commission work. And the first time, you know, BBC Radio 3 said my name, they called me Welsh composer Nathan James Dearden. Yeah, And I went, oh, oh, oh cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. I suppose yeah. I'm a yeah. Welsh composer, or well, my composer from Wales was born from born in Wales. But then there's, of course, a whole load of social and cultural baggage that is put on to that. Then of what does that even mean? Because actually, in the history of Welsh music or sort of co- Welsh concert music, it's a tiny history, um, yeah. and we're only talking really the turn of the 20th century where that became a thing, and we played major catch up because, of course, historically, Wales wasn't always. Wales and uh, mm. you know for the listeners I'm using Ooh. little bunny ears Um, <laughs> it wasn't always Wales um, yeah. so in terms of the cultural capital that we had in Wales the catch up throughout the 20th century was massive um, and I think trying to hone down on what Welshness is in concert music and the sort of music that I write that's really really tricky I think it's more of a case of learning and listening and you know living with the more traditional musics of Wales, more ancient musics of Wales, and how that responds to me, building on a culture and building on a short history of mm. Welsh concert music and being mm. mindful of the music that is there, celebrating that music that is already there from the composers I've already mentioned, also Alan Hoddenart, William Matthias, David Wynne, Daniel Jones, uh, the composers that are working in Wales now as as well and making sure that they're being platformed still trying to do what all countries should be doing across the world and also diversifying our platforms as well so the sort of people that are on our on our stages and the sorts of people that are writing the music um, for our concert stages in Wales being mindful of all that just leads into the culture of me being a Welsh composer Mm. is my music Welsh? that's for some musicologists (laughs) to decide that ain't for me to decide am I engaging with the culture of Welsh music and music that has been made in Wales, I absolutely am. Mm, there yeah. are some pieces that I've written where I worked with um, the National Museum Wales and they have this amazing folk archive by Roy Sayre from the 50s and 60s that's been digitised. And it's of people from around Wales, recordings that were originally on wax and Dirt at the turn of the century of old Welsh folk song that have now been digitised. And I found this amazing uh, folk song called Perth Mawr Adikaryad, which is sort of an old war song of a woman talking about the loss of her love uh, to war. And it was sung by a teacher from the Isle of Anglesey in the middle of nowhere called Miss M.M. M. Williams, recorded in the 40s and then digitized much later. And it's the most heartbreaking recording ever. Mm. And obviously the, the t- sort of the quality of the recording as well adds to that. I thought I need to work with that. And I created a sort of landscape for Miss MM Williams to live with my music. And then, yeah, I suppose that is Welsh because I'm using Welsh content and there's a Welsh context and there's a Welsh uh, intertextual um, Mm. level. Mm. And that's how I'm relating to my Welshness in music, about giving platform to other Welsh music or other Welsh forms or our ancient music. I think that's really important that young composers from whatever culture they are, are doing that as well. Yeah, no, that's amazing. my just,
1: com- composition deadline in a couple of months. Thank
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's,
0: it's great that, isn't it? Because I think it, it's. Do um, you feel the weight of those those great names of the past? Like in in a, in. A, I mean, I, I know that that's the whole reason why we're here, but there is a sort of just sort of Welsh canon, isn't there? Mm. And I think in, in in Wales, in a Welsh context, names like Hodinot and Matthias. Mm-hmm. Um, carry a great sort of quite quite a lot of heft with them Yeah, um, because of what you, they um, did
2: for, what they did for Wales was unheard of for yeah. most countries I mean amazing what they were doing William Mathias based up in Bangab in north, Alan Hodnot south in south Wales Alan yeah. Hodnot was bring, was best friends with Benjamin Britten and was bringing Britain to do premieres in Cardiff, uh, bringing Messiaen, Ligeti to Cardiff to do yeah. this amazing international music festival, and William Mathias similarly up in up in Bangor, yeah. And I was recently I hadn't really thought of that. This sort of uh, having such being a small country, Wales, but having such a rich newish um, music history, mm-hmm. I hadn't yeah. really thought about the baggage of like all of these greats that we study in school, or mm-hmm. the what, those that we perform in our or those that we perform as part of, you know, our GCSE or A-level examinations. And I was interviewed by Rihanna Mathias, William Mathias's daughter, who's an amazing academic in her own right, based in Bangor, still in, in the Mathias home. Mm. And she made a comment and said, ah, oh, there's, a, there's a lot in your music that reminds me of my dad. And I what? sat there, and my jaw dropped, and I thought I was going to be sick. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you can't make that comparison wow. over someone who, for oh me, god. you know, I've studied Matthias, have sung Matthias for years, like yeah. being one of like Wales' greatest exports. I thought, oh my god, don't never give a person that sort of. But yeah. I, at the same time, it's it's cool. Like there's obviously a legacy yeah. there, That's and we amazing. have to we have to also be doing that. I mean, I'm not one to also lift up the greats. I'm not no. that sort of person. No. And, you know, there are problems, of course, in programming. And sometimes when someone goes, yeah, I want to do a St David's Day concert or a Welsh concert, all they play is William Matthias. Very yeah. rarely Alan Hodds not because his music perhaps isn't as as popular or socially accepted mm. as lot as William Matthias is. Yeah. Uh, and they play a bit of Grace Williams. But I'm like, okay, but there's so much more Welsh music and so much yeah. more concert Bosch music that's being written out there by really mm. interesting composers, by queer composers, by uh, composers of colour, that we should be platforming. Mm, um, let
1: us know who they are. And
2: yeah, absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do a little a drop down in the Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the thing is, we did do a St David's Day special last year. And By my, my calculations, I think it's on a Tuesday this year. So that's around about the right time. So we might we might maybe we'll do like a like a medley. of Yeah. Um, of all of of all the greats both pre of all the 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 sort of past and present that you know that we perhaps don't know Mm. about i was going to say as well the beauty of that that connection the um that compliment about matthias is that matthias is one of the few welsh composers that has traversed the divide and is well Mm. known in england and is well known for his choral music which brings us neatly on (laughs) to the royal holloway service
1: Mm. so I don't actually Let's think we've yet, but Nathan James Dearden is the Choir of All Holloway's composer in residence. Our
0: first? I say
1: our. Ben is no longer officially in the Choir of All Holloway. It's just me. <laughs>
2: Once a member, always a member. Always a
1: member. And I'm, <laughs> and,
0: I'm, and I'm very, 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 very grateful to have been dragged back for this broadcast on Wednesday. I'm very, very excited. to yeah. well... Well, it's well. The thing is, it's 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 the premiere of Volcanicals, which we need to talk about, but also, but also um, the first radio broadcast of another commission, which you did for the Prestine Festival back in in late August. Yeah. So let's just talk about all of that. Let's just talk about yeah. All of that. Can of you can talk about Holloway and all of that. Let's talk about that.
2: Fab. Well, I have such as as you both know, but maybe the listeners don't know. I have an amazing and special relationship with Royal Holloway. I've worked there for. Seven years now, which I can't believe is seven years. Oh my God! Um, <laughs> in all sorts of roles, I've been the performance manager there, so running the international concert series at Royal Holloway with our director of performance, Mary Delay, who's an amazing pianist. um Also being a visiting lecturer in music composition, also being conductor of the new music ensembles at Royal Holloway, uh, and sort of just guest lecturer in all other areas from conducting to pedagogy and everything in between, and. Mm-hmm. It was amazing when Rupert and I were chatting. We've collaborated in the past. I think both of you actually in the past before this sort of residency have sung something of mine, which has been, I mean, just a, an actual privilege because the choir are so amazing, um, mm. and the voices are always so vibrant and always have such a there's such a collective power in your in your in your uh, in your sound production that. It was yeah always a special treat as a former singer in a former life writing music for you guys or having you perform my music so when i was having that sort of conversation with Rupert, and he went well let's do something let's have something that's a bit more of a longer period of time i was at a space where i'd like to write more choral music i was writing a lot of instrumental and orchestral stuff at the time and he said yeah let's do a residency where you get to know the singers and you get to write lots of different stuff for them mm. um and stuff that can also be added to the sort of catalogue the sort of the mm. broader repertoire um so that's where yeah firstly the the festival commission from prestine festival so what a good Welsh festival um that has an amazing history of mm. commissioning new music um from around the UK and from of course primarily Wales and it was, that was such a nice experience to be able to do a short choral suite of three pieces using George Herbert, the text of George Herbert, which a lot of people don't know was born in Wales, isn't particularly, I don't know if he would, I mean, would he identify as a Welsh poet? I mean, I suppose Ooh. he would have thought about that <laughs> in the 16th century. Um, but was a poet born in Wales and was considered you know a sort of Welsh bard equivalent to Shakespeare Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought it'd be a really lovely idea to set some some of his stuff and having sung a lot of settings of his stuff you know let all the world in every corner sing you know big Vaughan Williams from uh, the mystic songs five mystic songs Mm -hmm. Judith Weir set a lot of George Herbert's because Judith has a really really intimate relationship with a lot of his text um and yeah, so let all the world was sort of my concert opener piece, or sort of encore even. Yeah, uh, Rupert and I said we wanted a sort of fun piece, and that's what we got. I hope. Um, I love so it. it's really good that yay. that will get.
1: Oh yay, thanks. It's, it's so much fun to sing. You've just. It's,
2: it's great it's, fun.
1: Con- it's constantly bouncing. It's const- It sounds really stupid, but it's 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 music that just screams singing, like it's, oh. it's just fun. It's the energy and. Personally, for me in that suite, I, I love the first movement so much. And the, the text oh. just, I love it. The box where sweets, compacted lie. It's just so, so cute. Yeah. I love it. I, it's, Thank it's you a, so much, Ali. I'm I Not any authority on classical music, but. I, I,
2: no, 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 it's I just, really I sweet of you it. to say because it's interesting because actually um, let all the world in every corner sing. For that piece, I thought I want to write a sort of concert piece that William Mathias had written for choirs. So thinking yeah. of his Hodier, and I specifically thought of William Mathias, yeah. which I hadn't really done before. So I wanted to try and create a piece that had buoyancy and that was fun. I wasn't too long, mm. uh, but sounded kind of complicated, but wasn't complicated, you know, all of these little limitations I put on myself for that piece. So I'm really glad that, you know, as a singer, you can enjoy it. And then that first one of that suite full of sweet days. Yeah that was my attempt at doing a sort of Stanford motet double choir there's a lot of of movement but a sort of uh, communication between two parts of the choir and what they can do within the space Mm. and what they could do within the text and how we pull out parts of the text um so yeah I'm really glad that you you enjoyed that as well oh it's 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 gorgeous and it's
1: lovely to sing it's
2: it's very
1: yes. rare for us to enjoy an alto part, I must say. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, I, so I, my whole life has been, I, I started off as a tenor, not a very good tenor. And then I became a baritone bass and majors at Cardiff. And then as I left Cardiff, I started singing professionally as a countertenor. So I've covered alto, tenor and bass. And I probably yeah. when I've been drunk, have sung soprano at some point in a bar. <laughs> um, so I'm really mindful of alto parts, having sung them professionally for a few years.
1: <laughs> yeah we we as a section we thank you very much for that <laughs> altos
0: of altos, altos have historically always felt rather undervalued by
1: we have
0: the we're ten looking ten at get all the fun a lines your, <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
2: and then, then you get was, to handle and then you're like oh right you actually hated altos yeah because they're yeah. so hard it's, yeah
0: <laughs> i like specifically it. hated altos yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what i love about these um these new canticles as well as i i I don't know whether this is a conscious thing but i feel like there's a real homogeneity to the the music that we've the the music that you've been producing since since you've been doing this collaboration with holloway Mm. it it feels i don't know whether it feels like it has a distinct sound from from the stuff from the music that you composed previously but it really does feel like when i was when i was going through it i was like oh this is nathan's music because i was like actually it's quite useful when i was when you're sort of preparing it because i was like that's a nathan chord and i know (laughs) i know where that's going because this is this is nathan's music and it sounds like nathan's music and i don't know whether that's a conscious thing but is it quite nice having a particular sound having a particular voice using particular voicings as a sort of you know, we we were talking a bit about Ellie was mentioning about the well, when we were off air, as it were, about the sort of Howells references in the in the score, mm. the fact that you can identify those, but also the fact that we can now identify a in moment. Is that quite a nice wow thing? I to think have? I think so.
2: yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> um, uh, I'm I'm totally overwhelmed by that. Um... Are
0: you even aware of it? I mean, I, I no,
2: mean... of course I'm <laughs> not. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, which is why I was going to say, can you tell me where they are? Because oh, <laughs> I don't know where yeah. they are. <laughs> but I think, of... I, think, oh, yeah. I think you're right. I think, you know, I was quite conscious with this piece. I, I mean, for someone who has sung in choirs all of his sort of, both actually teenage and adult life, mm. I've sung so many Canticle settings, mm. like yeah. a lot of singers, like you two. And... I haven't, I've been asked to write Canticle settings. I've been write, asked to write MAGA Nuncs in the past and I've always turned it down because I've gone, you can't compete with these and you can't compete with that. And these are really great. And mm. why would you want to? Cause they're just going to be naff. And I thought it would be just a great challenge to do that, but it has probably been one of the hardest commissions, even though it's what, seven minutes in total for the MAGA Nunk combined. Mm. And I, you know, the, the music is not necessarily massive forces um but I, it was definitely one of the hardest commissions that I've had to do and it, because of just my own baggage I suppose as a yeah. singer of knowing what works what doesn't um mm. where where the sort of breakpoints happen in the voice and mm. what 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 you want to do in terms of a lot of that text, like the Magnificat, the text is long, there's loads of it to get through yeah. and and you can't really labour it in a sort of Arvo Pertian way, where you're there for 30 minutes yeah. and you're in a liturgical service. So there are moments that you have to really pace through the text at a speed that you might not want to creatively. Um, yeah. So. There's, yeah, there were so many reasons why I did want to do it. And also, the organ is really hard to write for. I knew I wanted for my Manga Nunk, I knew I wanted it to be with organ. I didn't want it a cappella. And all of my organ pieces, the organists have always said that they're quite difficult, <laughs> <laughs> even though, or, or deceptively difficult, that they look
0: yeah.
2: fine on the page. And then you get to it and you're like, oh, Nathan, why? Um, why so it's been do really. That? Ch- yeah, exactly. So Rupert was a massive help, actually, with the organ part. And there are still parts in there that probably could be refined a little more in terms of, of its difficulty, but they work. Um, and I know they work because now I've heard them in rehearsal and I'm like, yeah, that is exactly what yeah. I wanted and it sounds great and people are getting joy, joy from it. Um, but yeah, it wasn't something that I took on lightly a maganunk. but you're so right in terms of Howells and Sumption. There they are they're ghosts in the piece because they're in me and my understanding of MAGA Nunk settings Mm. and Mm. they're there and if you know there's a bit of nathan spice on top then (laughs) winning i'm not just ripping them off um but yeah that's interesting i've never really thought about what my sound my sound is again a musicologist i'm sure will want to or definitely not want to pick that up sometime in the
0: future yeah I'm sure I'm sure if someone wanted to pull through the scores and pick apart all the chords and go but I think I, he's you know a fraud
2: I think, <laughs> he can't do it
0: but I feel like I feel like it's one of those things where you don't like it's actually far more uh, emotional than that it's actually more of a feeling isn't it and, and ultimately if you start breaking it down and going this is what Nathan James does or whatever it's kind of like that's kind of missing the point
1: it's, because it's- it's like
0: all of the whole is... point of it is what it sounds like in, in its whole. And do you, Ellie, do you get what I mean?
1: I was I... just going to say, it reminds me of the kind of GCSE English, the door was blue. Um, yeah. The kind of it was the melancholy of the, no, there was blue paint, so they painted it blue. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's searching for that hidden
2: meaning where sometimes there is and sometimes there's not. Absolutely. I mean, it's because that's why music transcends that. And that's yeah. why we... Sometimes are a bit oh just bored of people trying to tear your music apart or tell you what mm. works and what doesn't and this works and this doesn't mm-hmm. because yeah. of convention that we have either been taught or coming back to you know full circle to those chorales that we were doing you know at the beginning of our education you know this is why you shouldn't have parallel fifths there and you're like well no because I those like them it sound really yeah. good as it's a composer weird. and as a creative. Mm. and oh my god there's loads of parallel fifths in my music but you know i haven't heard anybody say in reviews or in performances going yeah this really doesn't work as a piece because of those parallel fifths just so you know Nathan. No. like that's never happened yeah um so then i have faith then in what i have been able to, what i am creating or what i'm trying to create does work because i'm really mindful of the place and space in which a piece is being performed and the singers because i like to, or, or performers more generally because i like to collaborate and be mindful of what they can achieve and mm. what they can, mm. how they can best, best put their foot forward. Um, so I'm not there to catch anybody out in any way. Yeah.
1: Honestly, is, this is, is it, helpful for my composition, oh, I'm just going to have to write is
2: like notes. sort of an interview, but kind of mostly for Ellie's. <laughs> yeah. oh oh it's like a life. consultation but lesson without up.
0: paying. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to ask, but yeah. are you like this is so it's first of all like you've taken the, the leap you're writing a mag and Lunk. you've written one with i i remember opening the copy and thinking, oh this is gonna i just assumed it was gonna be acapella i was like oh my god it's with organ this is great mm. so it's those two things but it's also it's also going to be premiered like at the at the high altar of choral evensong on radio three mm. where as we know from that you know there is a very um dedicated sort of
1: Cult group of
0: cults, as it were, of listeners. I mean, there's there's obviously the, the ones that spend their evenings on the Internet moaning about stuff, but then there's also more <laughs> broadly these people who tune in every Wednesday at now 4 p.m., which I imagine caused huge uproar when it used to be 3.30, but 4 p.m. Sure,
2: sure it is. Um, I mean, yeah. it, it threw me because I used to listen to it as well religiously and then yeah. was, was totally thrown <laughs> when they changed the
0: time. What is this? You know, but do you I mean, I do. You, are you nervous? <laughs>
2: um I'm always nervous for when music is out there from my perspective. Yeah. I'm never nervous about the performance of it or the performers because it what will be will be. And I love moments. I love those human moments in music where you can you can you know feel almost tangibly the mm. the the creation of something coming together from yeah. f- f- from performance performers in a space. So that stuff excites me rather than makes me nervous. I'm never too bothered actually about, which is saying something because in other parts of my life, I'm really bothered about what other people think of me. I'm actually never that bothered about what people think of my music.
0: Yeah. Because, well,
2: because of, of where it comes from. It comes from the, the collaboration. It comes from the sort of feedback loop that I build in with my performers or with the space that I'm writing for. Or, you know, the music I'm trying to relate to. So I trust in it. I trust in that process that mm-hmm. it works as a piece of music. And if I put it out there, then I I know it's at a stage where it can survive. Um, so there will be some- You've already done all that work beforehand. I think guys, so. Well, yeah, I you think so. Just gone, it here's takes, the music. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that with feedback from audiences. I'm absolutely there to to listen to them, and I have done for years. Mm. My music's changed because of that, um, because I th- like to think that my music functions in a particular way and has a function for people, not only performers but listeners as well. So, if a listener comes to me and says, you know, yeah, this didn't work for me, then I'm happy mm. to listen to them. I'm not going to say that I'm going to change all of my music because of that, but I'm mindful of the fact that that is how someone felt about my music. Yeah. But equally, I'm not going to lose sleep over, you know, the really dedicated listeners, which are BBC Radio 3, which I am one of them as well. I listen to BBC Radio 3 religiously. I wake up to it in the morning and I listen to it for a good hour before I leave the house. I listen to it before I go to bed. I listen to it when I'm in the office. I listen to it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And even I have opinions occasionally. Um, But yeah, I I wouldn't lose sleep. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lose sleep on Wednesday evening. I hope he says.
0: (laughs) I think it's one of those, I suppose that eventually you realise that actually you, as, as much collaboration as you can do, there's no point being nervous because it is ultimately you, isn't it? It's your voice yeah. and you can't, you know, people don't like it. It's not really your problem. Yeah. Because, and I think it's about the you know, process,
2: isn't it, of creating music where you said, I mean, it is sort of my voice, but at the same time, I also think it's not just my voice. It's also the voice of all the music that I listen to and all the music that I love. And yeah. it's and it's also the voice of all the people that I collaborate with and the singers that are on stage that put their heart and soul into a performance and the yeah. reversal time into a performance. So I kind of think, I always think when a piece of music goes out there, it's not me against the world. It's sort of us against, who? Yeah. Like, it's just us. <laughs> like. Yeah. But that's so generous, though,
0: I feel like, to be so generous with your... You know with, with what you're doing because I, I I'm not sure what it's like for other people, but I that's not that's it's so refreshing to hear that, you know, that yeah. sort of perspective oh. on it being such a collaboration.
1: Mm. That's I feel like that's a thread that's kind of carried with us this this mm. whole chat. It's been it's about collect collectivity, collectivity. and collaboration. Yeah. And and it's it's not you just writing and going, this is what I've written. It's it's a process. Mm. And yeah.
2: I think collectivism oh. collectivism in music is just so important yeah. and it's something that we forget about, particularly as as creators, um, we forget about how powerful bringing people together in a room can be. Mm. And particularly in recent times, we yeah. have, not, have not been able to do that. And some people have forgotten how powerful that can be. So yeah. I think the collectivism oh. in music is is the most powerful and important thing for me as a creator.
0: I think that feels like the perfect moment to just sort of
1: I've, I've written notes for this whole thing and I just keep writing kind of, again, collectivism and collaboration. And it it's just, it's such a nice little board of notes because it's just wholesome yeah. and it's... Oh, good. Thank you God, so you much.
0: Say, I've really oh. missed doing this podcast. <laughs> this I know, is so it, much.
1: No, it's fun, isn't it? I think we both forgot how much fun it was.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs>
1: thank oh. you so much for popping on the podcast, Nathan. We've loved having no you. Worries. Absolute privilege. Thank you so
2: much, both. No, absolutely right. privilege to be here. Your podcast has been, has been an amazing sort of remedy at the end of the day when you've popped up and, you know, talking about boulanges or talking about talking with Dan Elphick or talking about Molly yeah. Owen and taking me back to my hometown. So yeah, thanks uh, for inviting me on and letting me just chat at you.
1: No, thank, but, thank you. Thank you for coming on. We've, we've loved having you and hopefully we can have you on again when you're, especially in the heart of the, the Welsh canon
0: yeah. <laughs> so yeah <laughs> thank so you so much for the four people that are listening Nathan's Canticles are premiered on BBC Radio 3 on Wednesday afternoon at 4pm uh, featuring other music by Nathan and George Arthur another contemporary composer we've worked with
1: some really uh, yeah. fantastic pre- is it praises and responses praises and
0: responses by yeah. um, uh, Piccolo who was at um, Canterbury Cathedral for a while I believe it's just um, going to be
1: a really emotional service. It's it's yeah. really emotive music that will pull things out of you you didn't know existed. So yeah. tune in and Lord for the
0: years, which is a really good hymn. Yeah, I...
1: absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You'll hear Ben and I squawking away. If you hear some aggressive consonants, it's definitely one of us. So yeah,
0: if you hear someone a tenor singing the descant, it's probably James. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yes, please tune in because um, uh, we well. Can't wait nice to have an audience.
1: But, yeah. yeah. Thank you. But
0: in the meantime, thank you Nathan.
1: And thank you Ben.
2: And thank you Eddie. thank you both. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone. <Someone laughs> <in the> room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, let's let's wrap up. Thank you so much guys and we'll see you next week for sure.